Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. Jeff, good morning to you. Good morning. So Jeff, uh, so a lot of really interesting things happening in the marketplace. Obviously, uh, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic. We've injected records amount of stimulus into the economy. We're seeing earnings come in really strong. And yet the market doesn't seem to know where it wants to go. Um, some days are up, some days are down. So there's certainly been a lot of chop out there. And that's uh, that's been a little bit uh, confusing um, considering the positive backdrop, especially that's uh, that's come to light the last uh, three months or so. Can you uh, kind of paint the picture for us on the news that's been coming out about the uh, the U.S. and the, the world economy and why the markets are kind of chopping along here? Yeah, I mean, uh, your point's a really good one, Jeremy, which is that, you know, over the last, gosh, a little bit more than a month, uh, the markets are basically traded sideways. You got uh, value-oriented stocks up a little bit, uh, growth-oriented stocks down a little bit. If you look at the S&P 500 as an overall, uh, kind of sideways. Uh, and you're right. I mean, if you're looking at uh, going through and, you know, we, we've got kind of three major backstops to what's going on, uh, you know, to us economically that you would think would really be driving the market. So we've had over $5 trillion for the stimulus and talk about more. Uh, we've had record earnings. Uh, and we can get into that in just a minute. And as you mentioned, we're, we're uh, eclipsing 50% of U.S. citizens uh, having uh, being fully vaccinated, not just a single uh, dose in them. Uh, our goal is obviously to be at 80, uh, but we are uh, you know, on path to get up to those levels. So you would think with all this great news going on, markets would be jamming. Uh, and so, you know, what we have done, uh, we've put out our educational piece just uh, going out today, hopefully. Um, but, you know, kind of to dovetail into it, we thought that maybe talking about some of these things today would make the most amount of sense. So, um, you know, perhaps we can kind of dig into each one of them individually, Jeremy. Yeah, that'd be great. So, um, I mean, just kind of taking the order that you just listed them. Obviously, the stimulus is something that we've heard a lot about. Certainly, it gets publicized a lot with the different administrations on the things that they're doing to try to keep this party going. Uh, the $5 trillion in stimulus, obviously, a very large number. What does that really mean? I guess, in terms of the economy, are there certain pitfalls that we should be wary of with regard to injecting that much money into our economy? Well, it's it's it is definitely a double-edged sword. So, I mean, uh, and it also really kind of depends on what your peers are all doing. So, the initial uh, outpour, you know, the CARES Act that occurred right in March of last year uh, occurred while everybody else in, in the world was doing similar things. Uh, so, if you're printing money and everybody else is printing money, uh, everybody's currency goes down at the same value, the same speed, the same everything else. Uh, that's actually not a bad thing to uh, try to prop up your economy. You've done no individualized harm uh, whatsoever to yourself. Uh, where we lie and have issue is when we just continue to uh, keep the press, uh, the printing press going at high speed for as long as we possibly can. And, um, you know, the United States being uh, the leader of that right now, uh, if we were to see that then having a devaluation in our currency would certainly occur. We've seen some weakness 
nothing earth shattering, but we've seen weakness within the US dollar already. Uh, but what that really could turn into is, is inflation, which you've heard probably in the, the media quite a bit. Or what's worse is if our stimulus dollars are not being put to work in a good way um, and we keep on printing money, uh, then it's very possible for us to slide into uh, what we saw in the late 70s, early 80s, which is an ugly term called stagflation, which means that our economy is not moving up strongly and we have inflation. So it's kind of the, the, the worst of both worlds. Yeah, and Jeff, I think um, when it comes to things like devaluing of currency and other concepts around that, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, misunderstandings with regard to what that actually means. Do you mind walking through a little bit? Like if, if our US dollar, let's say it did devalue relative to other world currencies, what does that mean versus strengthening? Well, I mean, so, and again, you got to keep in mind that, that you know, little bits here and there are not going to be a material impact. But let's let's just talk out what the first part of it meaning being, being the devaluation of currency first, and then let's just talk about uh, how that impacts against other economies. So well, let's just say that you know, for for ease of purpose, uh, that I was a country and I had a value of a uh, million dollars, and I had a million dollars, and I had a million dollars worth of goods. Uh, so my goods and my currency equaled each other. So I had a million dollars, had a million dollars worth of goods. We're all, all perfectly fine. But let's say that I decided I was going to print $2 million worth of goods or $2 million worth of paper money, but I only had a million dollars worth of goods. You know, eventually in a open market uh, environment, my currency should go from $1 down to 50 cents. It should go back because now I've got 2 million in currency uh, but it should be worth 50 cents because I only got a million dollars worth of goods. So taking it a step further, uh, you've got a million dollars worth of goods. I've got a million dollars worth of goods. We call yours uh, whipbacks and we call mine Powell's rather than dollars and, and cents. So one whipback equals you know, $1 worth of goods and same thing with, with in mine. Uh, one Powell equals $1 worth of goods. Uh, if I'm in a situation where um, I am printing more Powells and I only have a million dollars worth of goods, then what will end up happening is it will take two Powells to buy one Whitbeck. And you know that's kind of what we're running into is in a situation is if we keep on uh, printing Powells and nobody else is printing, you know, if you print Whitbecks at the same pace that I'm printing Powells, then we still have a one for one exchange. And you know it, it just means that it takes twice as many Whitbacks or twice as many Powells to buy the same good. Uh, but you know, from an economic standpoint, you know, the currency, while it's certainly uh, gotten devalued because of what the, co the governments have done, it's still equaling out the, the right amount of goods. Uh, where if you're in a world economy, you want to make sure that you're not harming yourself in a situation because you know if you're out making money, it'll depend on how many Powells or Whitbacks you're making. So unless your job gives you a 100% raise, then your buying power goes down. Uh, your buying power goes down means that there's going to be le less economic activity. Perfect, Jeff. Yeah, and I appreciate walking through that because that's certainly one of the areas that I get a lot of questions on because it's not necessarily something that's the most intuitive. And so then the key that I took away from that is it's not just what you're doing, but you have to consider what others around you are doing. And it's that inner relationship between the two that determine where you end up. So appreciate walking through that example. 
the second thing that you talked about is record earnings. Um, and certainly, uh, they've been pretty sensational this go around. Can you walk us through some of the statistics there on why people are as encouraged by the earnings as they have been? Yeah. So, um, so as of Friday of last week, so May 21st, 95% of uh, the S&P 500 companies had reported. Um, and according to facts that 86% of those companies had reported a positive earnings per share surprise, meaning they, you know, the analysts were expecting them to come out with a dollar's worth of earnings. And, you know, all they had to do in order for it to be an earnings surprise is to come out with a dollar one. Uh, but they have out or exceeded what the expectations would be for their earnings. And then 76% of the companies had actually outperformed both on an earnings, but also a revenue basis. Um, if you take the blended earnings growth rate uh, for the quarter, and again, what we're seeing right now is first quarter of 2021 being reported in second quarter, uh, the blended rate is just shy of 52%. So kind of going back and looking at history, and it's kind of always interesting to me when you were looking at history, because in some cases, history doesn't go back very far. So in this case, FactSet's really only been tracking earnings surprise uh, for about 13, 14 years. But this would be the, the highest positive earnings surprise uh, ever since they've been tracking it. And it would be the second highest growth rate. You have to go back to first quarter of 2010 uh, to see an earnings uh, growth rate uh, that the, that is this strong. Now, keep in mind that we saw and they were tracking uh, these numbers after the Great Recession. So the recovery there versus the recovery that we're seeing right now has really been quite amazing. We've seen a very, very, very strong earnings across the board uh, in most industries, and uh, those numbers are record-setting. And so, and Jeff, to kind of uh, take that a little bit further, so the fact that we're getting these record earnings, um, have the companies that have reported these earnings, have they been pretty well rewarded with these positive earnings surprises with stock price movement, or has it been a mixed reception in the marketplace? Well, as we were talking about from the very beginning, it's a bit mixed. And so uh, here's part of the problem. Uh, there's question of sustainability of it. Uh, but there's also major question of value. Uh, so right now, if you were going to look at the S&P 500, um, there, certain people look at forward PE ratios, certain people look at uh, you know, current PE, which is what have you done over the last 12 months. So I wanna make a distinction here that this is forward PE ratio. Um, I'm gonna give you a, another number in a moment that's gonna be in a, a current, but the current, uh, the situation that we're dealing with right now Four PE ratio for the S&P 500 is just shy of 22 times uh, earnings. So price to earnings multiples is what we're talking about when we're saying PE ratios. Now, that's a pretty simplified way of looking at it, but still the historic is about 16.7. So you're looking at a, a group of stocks uh, that are trading at 22 times their earnings. That's almost, a, it's over a 30% uh, um, higher value than what they should be. Uh, when you're looking at it from a pure valuation standpoint, again, we're looking kind of late 90s, early 2000s valuation numbers. Now, does that mean that we're gonna have a crash the way that we did before? Not necessarily, uh, but it is something that we gotta be looking at. Uh, the other thing that we you've heard us talk about um, incessantly, uh, repetitively, I, I don't know what else to sit there and throw out, but uh, the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 
uh, are still representing a absolute disproportionate amount of the markets. Uh, they're almost 30 times, or, or almost 30% of the S&P 500, and they're trading at 150% of normal when you're looking at current PE ratios. Um, so again, in viewing this, the rest of the stock market is still overvalued. It's about 125% of valuations, but it's not nearly as high as it is. Uh, so really, you've got some great earnings numbers coming out, but what is, what's happening there is you've got a numerator and a denominator. And I, I know that we all don't like to go back to math classes, and that's probably perhaps giving some people some post-traumatic stress disorder of, of thinking back to math classes that they truly did not enjoy. But when you're looking at these kind of things, we've got a numerator and a denominator. The price is the numerator, the denominator is earnings. So in a case where you have a too high of a P ratio, one of two things can happen in order for it to normalize. Either the price has to come down or the earnings have to go up. And so what we're experiencing right now is earnings are going up, but they're not going up enough for people to want to reward the market as an overall index. Uh, so we're seeing kind of a sideways as there's kind of a backfilling of the markets being overvalued. So really, you could see a stagnation within the markets for a little bit of time because they've kind of gotten ahead of themselves. And so having an earnings uh, season like we've had, which has been fantastic, there hasn't been a reward, really. Uh, there are on individual stock basis side of things, but there really hasn't been a huge reward so far uh, because of valuation. Got it. So just to kind of summarize what it sounds like you're saying is that companies are growing into the valuation that we really put uh, into these stocks at the end of last year and beginning of this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the one thing to keep in mind, though, and this is something that, you know, we keep reiterating with our clients is that we don't buy the market. So as much as people might be concerned about the valuations of, we are constantly out looking for best of breed companies uh, that are either properly valued with strong earnings potential or are undervalued that we think will return back to valuations that they should be uh, trading at. So when we're looking at the markets as much as they might be overvalued, uh, the one thing that we keep on kind of trying to uh, pound the table on is there are a lot of amazing opportunities out there. So while the indexes uh, you know, are overvalued, doesn't mean that all companies are. So just keep that in mind with uh, with uh, how you're investing with us. Is don't be afraid of this. Just realize that you know that that it's it's the current market environment and it makes it more challenging. And while we talk about it being a stock picker's market, is that you just can't throw a dart and, and get it right these days. It's going to be a lot more of a craft. Yeah, got it. So and, and Jeff, uh, talking about the three different pieces, the last one that we wanted to uh, to cover together is the vaccine. So you mentioned uh, in at the very beginning that we've just hit the 50% mark here in the U.S. And uh, certainly we're still hearing about clamorings of other countries that aren't doing nearly as well. And so it sounds like the U.S. is off to a great start, but not necessarily true of the, the rest of the world. Can you kind of lay the landscape there? Where do we stand both domestically and then also internationally with the, the COVID pandemic? So every once in a while, and for whatever reason, vaccinations in this country have become a polarizing discussion point that has been unfortunately tied into politics. So I want to kind of start off again by saying, don't care if you're blue, red, purple, uh, we're translucent and what we're going to be talking about here and uh, try to be as factual as possible. 
um, like or dislike the previous administration, one of the things that was done uh, in a very intelligent way was actually the investment in vaccinations. And so the United States actually spent billions uh, not only helping companies uh, with their research and uh, providing the money for that research, but also they made a very strong point of, oh, by the way, when there is a vaccine, we're front in line. Um, and they procured hundreds of millions of doses uh, from the very beginning from all these firms. And some of them worked out, some of them didn't work out, but what it really did was put the United States first on the list of uh, who got vaccinations. And so with Pfizer, with Moderna, with Johnson & Johnson, uh, these are, um, you know, these are, are remarkable situations that we're in as a country. But you got to keep in mind that if you're looking at it uh, from a global basis, we are far from being okay. So uh, again, all obviously data points are data points, but uh, as of this weekend, uh, there have been a total of 1.67 billion doses given worldwide. Um, that puts us at about 5% of the population that, uh, that has been fully vaccinated. And, and that fully vaccinated number is slightly under 400 million people. Now, right now, we are not getting information out of China. Uh, and interestingly, and I don't, I, th I think for probably very different reasons, uh, Australia is not providing uh, their vaccination data uh, to uh, the organizations like the CDC and WHO at this moment. So we're not seeing that kind of information come out. So this is a little bit incomplete, but you know, the point being, and a bigger one out there is that when you've got countries like India, which is the largest producer of vaccines in the world, only being at 10% of a shot in a arm, meaning like they don't, are not talking fully vaccinated, they're just talking about having one shot. Uh, and you got places like the United States that were 50% fully vaccinated and shooting for 80 here shortly. Uh, it's, a, it's the wild, wild west everywhere else where we're starting to see dramatic drop-offs so, I mean, we're at less than 25,000 new cases per day, uh, numbers that we haven't seen for a long time. We're down to less than 500 deaths a day. Um, these are numbers that are lower than uh, what you would see for, you know, not necessarily a common cold, but for pneumonia for a annual basis. So not that we ever want to see anybody die for any other reason, but we're at very, uh, very understandable numbers now. The rest of the world is not. Um, and so when you're looking at having almost 600,000 new cases per day on a global basis and over 12,000 deaths a day, well, they're certainly not as high as the record highs of a few weeks ago. Uh, they're certainly not great numbers. And so you've got the United States that are, we're, while we're recovering, and again, don't get me wrong, I, I think that, that it was the smartest decision that we could possibly do is to not sit there and wait around with the others. It's almost like when you hear the announcements for when you're flying, you know, if the uh, oxygen masks fall to the, you know, fall from the sky, you're supposed to grab one, put yourself on, uh, put your mask on yourself first, and then help people around you. Only way that we can help the world is by being vaccinated ourselves. So I have no problem whatsoever with the actions that we're dealing with, but the the risk that's run is a fewfold. One is. Uh, having variants to uh, the the COVID-19 uh, coronavirus. We're already seeing that happen. We're seeing mutations. So far, knock on wood, we are seeing it at levels that our current vaccinations are still uh, able to handle it. Uh, but it's definitely something that is 
uh, real and that if we're not careful with it, if we were to see major mutations in it, uh, we could be back at square one again. So we do need to get the world immunized, not just the United States. Uh, so that's really kind of number one. Number two is that we're seeing, a, a you know, in many cases, major supply chain disruptions. Um, again, let's go back to India for a moment. India had a huge, huge influx of COVID. Um, and while that happened and having to shut down uh, parts of their country again, they're the number one supplier of vaccines. This becomes a, a catch-22. You're basically shutting down uh, the industrial resources in which you have to actually produce the vaccines that need to, to kind of put you back on your feet again. And so you're seeing this a lot across the board. You're seeing it in also very strange ways. So within the United States, even before the colonial line uh, was hacked, there was a prediction of having uh, you know, a shortfall of gasoline because right now we don't have enough qualified drivers willing to be working right now because they're collecting too large of an unemployment check uh, to do otherwise. So uh, it's one of these things where you know it is um, uh, circumstances that we've got to deal with on a regular basis. So uh, you know, under these circumstances, we've got to really look at not just what's going on in the U.S., but we've got to look at it from a global basis. Yeah, and Jeff, I think that's a that's a great summary of what's going on there. Obviously, very encouraging. The U.S. is at 50%, and hopefully, we'll be at 80% soon. But uh, when we look at all of our neighbors, um, all of the other countries around us, we've got a long way to go, and uh, hopefully, uh, we can continue to make headway there. Um, and so, to go back to the first question, so obviously, especially here domestically in the U.S., all of this is pretty good. Um, record earnings, valuations a little bit rich, but still record earnings nonetheless. Stimulus came in very strong, may create some inflation, but for now, uh, helping to pull us out of a hole. 50%, so half the country vaccinates, so market stalling. Any thoughts there or any final thoughts to leave with? I mean, is this a short-term thing? I think this is going to be here for a while. Well, one of my jokes is that if the markets went straight up, we wouldn't have a job. I mean, the reality behind it, I mean, you can go back to the tail end of last year, we had a minor pullback in September. We had another minor pullback shortly thereafter. We've really not had those same sort of uh, percentage pullback so far this year. It's been a little bit more benign. Obviously, we're shorter into the year. Uh, seasonality uh, you know, wise, uh, the uh, late spring and into summer also tend to be weaker times within the stock market. Not so much that you can just ignore and take that time off, but it's definitely something that you want to keep an eye on. Uh, but I think I look at it as uh, as very temporary. I mean, there will be. I mean, even if we were to see a, a pullback from an index basis, um, there's so many places to invest that you would have huge opportunity. The thing to keep in mind, and we've referenced the late '90s and early 2000s multiple times, but what most people don't realize is that correction was all growth oriented. If you were to been in value from top of market to bottom of market, so top of market and in March of 2000 to bottom on the market in 2003, you've been in large cap value, you would have broken even. Had you been in mid cap value or small cap value, you would have made 30%. Uh, it was really only large cap growth and the uh, the international markets that had gotten ahead of themselves as well that really kind of suffered. So there's opportunity. And there's a lot of opportunity still in this current market environment. We kind of hit on uh, some of it. We've seen that in the performance of that player strategy so far this year. We think that there's still a huge amount of opportunity 
through the last seven uh, months of this year that we should be able to see uh, continued strength in specific areas of the marketplace. <laughs> Excuse me. So it's just something that you've got to be uh, aware of. Uh, it's something that you've got to uh, be patient with, understand that markets don't go straight up, and understand that you know with Polaris's tactical nature with how we manage money, uh, that we are going to constantly be poking and prodding and looking around and trying to find uh, where there is strength within the marketplace and avoiding the areas uh, of weakness. So uh, just keep that in mind with everything that we're talking about. Yeah, Jeff, well, really appreciate the time here. Appreciate your expertise. And uh, as always, appreciate you sharing and breaking some of these more complex uh, topics down so that we can, uh, I guess, understand them a little bit more and understand more of the backstory on some of the uh, the headline news that's coming through uh, through various media outlets. So uh, appreciate your time today. Absolutely. And so to all of you that are with us, thank you so much for uh, giving us your ear. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.